right, we're rolling. Ooh, we're rolling. Yeah, welcome, everyone, to What Lurks on Channel X, the mini-episode. Mini-episode? Our first of possible many minis. Mini-mini. Mini-minis. Mini-minis. Yeah. Uh, so, as promised, our uh, wonderful co-host here, Lindsay, has Ooh. actually read... Uh, she read the books. Well, okay. Let's not go all the way with that. All right. All right. I'm going to be honest here. Hmm. I read part of the book. All right. Well, okay. So for those who aren't aware, in our last episode, we discussed whether or not H.H. H. Holmes was actually Jack the Ripper. I was really excited about it. Uh, there was a man, there is a man named Jeff Mudgett, mm-hmm. who claims to be the great, great, great grandson. No, no. Great grandson. Great grand. Oh, now it's great grandson. No, he is great grandson. He is. A f- he is like confirmed. Yes. Confirmed. Hundred yes. percent confirmed. Yes. Um. He is the great grandson with Mudgett's first wife, uh, Clara, I believe, or Claire. Okay. The one he married up in New Hampshire before all of the mm. chaos ensued. Okay, so this man is legitimately the great grandson of H. H. Holmes. Herman Mudgett. Yes. Herman Webster Mudgett. Herman Webster Mudgett. And uh, he did a TED Talk, which was my main source of information. Yep. Discussing the the, the possible fact that H.H. Holmes may have been Jack the Ripper. Yes. And um, he wrote a book called Bloodlines, right? Bloodstains. Bloodstains. Mm-hmm. Called Bloodstains about, uh, which he says is his journey into discovering this and he tells this whole uh, um, anecdote about what it was like finding out that your family has such a sordid history and he gets into all that blah 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 stuff Mm -hmm. and then he goes on to his now the TED talk was a 20 minute recap which was really about 12 minutes because the first eight minutes or so he just kind of was him laying out the discovery and yeah so he, he, he basically summed it all up in about 12 minutes, his evidence of H.H. H. Holmes being Jack the Ripper. Yeah. Um, now, the first thing you wonder is why, how is this not more well known? <laughs> if, well, okay. <laughs> uh, uh, you would think that if this is such concrete evidence as he, as he claims... That I mean, when you first hear about it, I mean, anybody who knows anything on it, I mean, almost every person who is into true crime in any way, shape, or form, of course, does have a soft spot for H.H. H. Holmes well, and Jack the Ripper. He, well, he's the first. They're, 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 they are, they're the first. They are the first. And, you know, everybody has a passion for, I guess the passion is the, I don't know what the right word is, but everybody has an interest in the two of them, especially. Mm. Um, so the fact that there's a possibility that the two could be connected I, Not just every, connected, but the first, the, the same person. The same person. I, think, I mean, every I, person that I told about after the last episode mm-hmm. um, was blown away. Like, they were like, what? Oh, my God. And when I told them I was going to read the book and I was going to look into his evidence and I was going to present it again in this little follow-up mini-mini, yeah. um, you know, everybody was really excited. I mean, we were really excited about it. I mean, we, we were, you know, blown away that, that this sounded, it made the case sound really good. Yeah. Unfortunately. Um, unfortunately. <laughs> unfortunately. Well, I think I want to take a moment and maybe apologize to uh, any of our listeners. If they went out and they were like, this bloodstained books is going to prove it all. Because that's uh-huh. what I thought when I got a wonderful, wonderful copy on my Amazon Kindle. And I dove into the book and I was really excited and I'm... And I'm like, you know, I'm reading along, and oh, how they found out at a family dinner, the whole family is gathered, and, you know, and it, it's, it's told to the family. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm, I'm completely caught up in this tale, and I'm reading along, and uh, so essentially, I'll tell this story the way the book tells the story. Um, his grandmother had a belief that the family was actually connected to General Lee. Okay. And she spent a fair amount of the family's resources hiring private investigators. It's actually a lot of people in this country. There's, there's a fair amount of people in this country who, who believe the same thing because of uh, his possible uh, exploits 
while you know going going across to, you know being part of the war and the women he encountered throughout the course of time mm-hmm. of his literally traveling the country so it's quite possible he has quite a few members of his lineage yeah all around this yeah so there there, there is there is a lot of people who who claim that to begin with so the fact that she could possibly place the family around generally is not Unheard difficult. Of. It's not yeah. unheard of, and, yeah. it, and it probably would be I kind mean, of easy the, the, considering the, the family kind of laughed about it off, and they laughed kind of grandma off, and it's grandma's yeah. little obsession. Like you know, grandmas do yeah. weird things. Yeah, my grandmother tells a story of uh, how uh, my, one of my cousins was one of the first soldiers to die in Vietnam. Wow. Yeah, and uh, Robert Kennedy went to Vietnam to recover the body. Wow. And um, my grandmother tells a story of how she had tea with Robert Kennedy. Oh, yeah. little claim to fame for the yeah, fam. Right? Wow, <laughs> I married into a good family. I guess so. <laughs> um, so, yes, this is one of his grandmother's little things, you know, and nobody really ever thought anything would come of it. And one day around, I guess, you know, fa- Sunday family dinner, yeah. uh, she announces that there's been a discovery and that... The family is, re- is related to H.H. H. Holmes. So if he's the great-grand, then that's his grandmother. Her grandfather's fa- his grandfather's father. Okay. Now, that created a fair amount of strife, actually, between his grandparents. What is that? So his grandmother would not have married his grandfather mm. if this was known. So, okay, so when the grandmother found this out, they were what? He... Okay. How far along married were they? They were many, many years. Oh, so they already many. had grandchildren. Yes, they already point. had grandchildren. Um, actually, and it's funny, when we first started talking about this, we were like, this poor kid, this poor guy, like he found out he's like, you know, for some reason, like the way my, my brain pictured it, it was that he was like a teenager, like just becoming yeah. a man and fighting off those weird well, that hormone would mean, things. That would mean like the 70s yeah, that he found out. but in my out. brain, that's kind of like the story I made up for him. Yeah. But no, he found out when he was 40 years old. Um. Oh. Yeah. yeah, he was 40 at the time. So his grandmother was how old? Oh, well, was he part of this dinner? Yes, okay. he was there. Everybody was there. So he found this out fairly recently. Fairly recently. Within a few years mm-hmm. ago. Yeah. His so, grandfather so, so kept it a secret gr- their entire life. So you're saying his grandfather is the son? Is the, gr- is the son, yes. The son of H.H. H. Holmes? Yes. He's got to be over 100 years old. He could I mean, be. I mean, when was H.H. H. Holmes put H. to H. death? H.H. Holmes was put to death. In the 1890s, I believe. Okay. That doesn't make any sense. That doesn't make any sense. If so maybe he was, he's the great-great-grandson. Yeah, if he was... So maybe great-great-grandson. Yeah, maybe he's the great-great-grandson. Yeah, I, I heard great-great and great-great-great-grandson. Yeah. Second or third. Yeah. I mean, his focus is on his grandfather and his I, grandfather no, no, of course. keeping this secret. But if so. his grandfather told him this within the last 10 years or so, because this guy looks like he's in his mid-40s, maybe 50 or so. Mm-hmm. So within the last 10 years or so, okay, so we're looking at great-great-grandson then. Because if it was his grandfather, his, his grandfather was born in the great, 1860s, which would make him 140, 150 years old, more 160 almost, be 155 years old approximately. Okay. If he was born in the 1860s, that's 150 years ago. So, okay, so great-great-grandson, possibly even another... Yeah, you're right, because she became pregnant in... Um... Doesn't matter. No, it doesn't really matter. So great-great, so second or third great-grandson. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yes. All right, so, and grandma would not have married grandpa had she known this. No. So that caused no. a rift between them. Absolutely. All right. Um, and the grandfather's reaction to that, I mean, everybody in the family kind of laughed it off. They didn't really, like, it wasn't a traumatic event for them. Because it's so long ago. They're it's like, so long ago. Um, it, it's, yeah, it's not like saying that you're, you know, you're related to Hitler and the whole world no. is still being affected by this. This is 100, 120 years ago that this, guy's, that this guy was put to death. Almost 140 at this point. No, no. He was put to oh, death. Oh, put to death in the 90s. Yeah, yeah he was 1890s. put to death in, 18, in, in 1896, I think, or in 1897. Yeah, yeah, so if he was put to death then, you know, then, yeah, we're looking at 100 and, 110, 120 years ago, and it was just a single serial killer. He's not, yeah. again, he's not like a world mass murderer. It's not like, oh, hey, my grandfather is Stalin. Yeah. You know, and we're just now finding this out. I mean, there are supposedly Hitler children out there, mm-hmm. grandchildren that don't know 
that they are uh, of the Hitler lineage because they specifically did everything they could to hide these children's. So there, so there, there's there's a good group of children out there like that. This isn't like that where they where they where he had kids and they hid it. So, so they were actually able to find out, and this is confirmed. Okay, right, and that's what his grandfather did. His grandfather yeah. kept it a secret because he knew, and he just he, decided he knew he knew. Um, now he's we're going to fast forward this story a couple of years um, when his grandfather passes away. Um, he was not. What year is this? I don't have a year. He never listed a year. Okay, so. Um, but also, so everything we're talking about right now is within the last ten years. Well, the book was written, I th- believe, in 2011. Okay, so, and in the book, his grandfather had already died. Mm-hmm. So, all right, so we're looking in the last ten years. Yeah. All right. Um, so his grandfather passes away, and him and his grandfather were never close. Mm-hmm. Um, the only thing that he claims that they shared was a love of fishing. But they never went fishing together, which is, he repeats in through so many interviews. I can't even tell you how many times okay. I've heard this. But his grandfather leaves him his prized tackle box. Okay. And it gets a little cloudy here. From my understanding, inside this tackle box was a diary. And it is the diary of his grandfather. Now, I'm not really sure where fiction begins and reality ends mm-hmm. with this but essentially no okay so wait wait now first off you say that because unfortunately we're 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 relying on jeff mudgett's accounts here and what is the problem with jeff mudgett's accounts jeff mudgett's accounts are mostly in the book a lot of the interviewers just don't ask this question so as as jeff okay, tells so, the story right, 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 in Blood well, let's, let's just let's just be clear yeah. let's just be clear then because you're you're kind of dancing around it it seems like what you've basically discovered is this this Bloodstains book mm-hmm. is mostly fictional. It's mostly fictional. and It's, and a, it's a fictionalized account of him it's, it, it's discovering a, it's this. A, it's, fiction, it, it's a work of fiction. Yeah. Um, there are some elements. It's, it's a very biased, very personal journey story of what he went through. So essentially, as I was saying, he, he, get, he finds this diary inside this fishing tackle box. Uh-huh. I don't know how big a tackle box is, but apparently there's diaries in it. Um, well, and it, through the bloodstains... They're not that big, but yeah, okay. Through the bloodstains book, essentially, the beginning of the book, is he finds these diaries. And, you know, he doesn't really think much of it, and he puts it aside. Diaries? Diaries. Multiples. Multiples. In one tackle box. Yes. This is a pretty big tackle box. Yeah. Well, welcome to the world of Jeff Mudgett. Okay. Um, everything just sounds a little bit off. Um, so so he finds these diaries, doesn't think much of it, and he throws it to the side and puts it in a box that winds up in his garage. Then a strange force oh, one day captures him and calls him to the garage. And He's the, psychic the, now. the box falls or something like that onto him. And the diaries... Onto him? Like, yes. like it falls and hits him? <laughs> like it falls and hits like him. Like he slammed the door too hard yeah. and it fell off the shelf and hit him. Essentially, yeah. And like, I don't remember if there was like a power out and he's looking for a flashlight. There's something that led him to the garage. Um, uh, he put some sort of mystic undertone to the, to the situation. So he re- rediscovers the diaries. And he sits there and he starts to read. And In the dark. In the dark. In, in, is he in the garage? <laughs> he's in the garage. In, in the, the dark, dark at no night. Mind. He's sitting in the garage. Yeah. He's got a lump he on his head. Sits, he, 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 in his account, he is sitting on the cold garage floor in, in the dark. In the dark reading this. Reading this diary. This 120-year-old diary. Yeah. And as he's reading the diary, he's kind of like, oh, this is messed up. And you know, he starts flipping through. And eventually a page catches his eye. And it, the diary is dated something. Did it, in, did, it, did it have nudie pictures in it? <laughs> it did not have nudie pictures. There were no nudies? <laughs> no. Um, so there's an entry dated 1951. 1951. 1951. That's been kept in a tackle box along with other diaries that is in the, in the garage that hit him in the head. Yeah. For sitting on the cold garage floor, it's damp, it's dark, and we're drawn to this diary and this entry dated 1951 in which the was this, was author this book, describes... Was this book written by Anne Rice? <laughs> it, it's a little bit Anne Rice, a little Stephen King, and a little, I don't even know what. <laughs> um, so essentially, 1950, this 1951 entry is about uh, the, the author sees a young boy and his mother. And as the author describes... Uh, the author is... Well, we, uh, we come we'll to find to, out... Okay. That, yeah. We come to find out, of course, the author is supposedly H.H. H. Holmes. Uh-huh. Um, so he, yes, is claiming H.H. H. Holmes 
discovered him as a boy. Him in... Him, Jeff Mudgett. In 1850? No, 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 in 1950. Oh, 1950. 1950. So 70-something years. Okay, I thought you said 1850. No. Okay, But essentially, we're saying H.H. Holmes is alive and wandering the streets in 1951. Uh, H.H. Holmes was born in what year? He would have been in his 20s in in 1860, so around 1840. <laughs> this story this story says in 1950 One. 1951 mm-hmm. this story this this diary claims that he came so his diary is supposedly written by H.H. H. Holmes yes who is now 90 years old mm-hmm. in 1951 H.H. Mm-hmm. H. Holmes would be 90 yes uh-huh uh-huh okay so the the diary says the diary is an account of, of, of a day, of an incident, um, where he comes across this boy and his mother, and he approaches the boy and he touches him. That's totally inappropriate. Completely inappropriate, but not in that way. But essentially, as he's reading this diary, Jeff Mudgett figures out that this is him. It, he, he, it's his mother. It's a description of his mother and him as a boy. So now he's drawn into these diaries. And he spends the next few days obsessed, obsessively reading these diaries, unable to put them down. Um, and as the story goes on, evil lurks into Jeff Mudgett's life. He begins hearing a voice that he can only account as his grandfather. The voice essentially begins causing him pain and causing him nightmares, and actually torturing him mentally. Jeff Mudgett, Jeff Mudgett was, Jeff Mudgett was born in 1957. So 57, when he was 40, when he found out about his grandfather, then it would have been 97 that he found out. So he's 59 years old right now. Okay, so yeah, the book does begin, as, a, as an, it announces, here in the year 1861, Herman Mudgett, the author of this pages, was born. So 1861 is when uh, Holmes was born. Yeah. In order for him to have seen Jeff Mudgett at all, H.H. H. Holmes would have to have lived to be at least 96 years old. Okay. 1960. 1960. 1960. So H.H. H. Holmes is 99 years old. 99 years old. When he apparently encounters his great-great-grandson, Jeff Mudgett, yes. and his mother. So this, this entry is dated 1960. 1960. Okay. All right. So, correction. Sorry about entry that. Entry is dated 1960. Jeff Mudgett is three years old at the most. Mm-hmm. And supposedly, H.H. H. Holmes encounters them. Yes. And, and we come to, to, to believe with the author that that incident is when the evil was put into Jeff Mudgett. So Jeff is now evil. <laughs> Apparently a touch of evil was spread from one man to the, to the other. Is Jeff Mudgett trying to say that he's a murderer too now? Uh, no, he doesn't go that far. But um, Is he like covertly saying this without saying it then? If the touch of evil went from one to him... It's almost like the doorway was open between the two, more than a touch of evil. I guess I misspoke. I, I, that was when the doorway between the two was opened. Because uh-huh. essentially, blood stains... I only got to chapter 11, and I'm sorry, folks. I just couldn't do it. And um, you went bankrupt. I did. <laughs> no, it just got to the point where like, when the book started possessing him, essentially... Oh, Jesus. When he started almost experiencing missing time, when this voice of his grand- great-grandfather would take over, um, he went through a very v- vivid description of uh, the voice, essentially, in his mind, trapping him in a casket and taunting him from the outside. Oh, for God's sake. <laughs> Which is why I gave up. Um, this, was not, this book was not at all what I was expecting. You were expecting a biography of sorts. Uh, yeah. A, biogra- and, and, and a biographical, Mudgett, autobiographical timeline. Yeah, or even a presentation yeah. of something. Yeah, you were expecting a factual account of things. Right. And this is... Uh, now, apparently what I did... I've listened to a couple of interviews with Chef Mudgett now yeah. at this point. So apparently the book does kind of steer back into reality. And it turns out he's diagnosed very late in life with epilepsy. Uh-huh. 
And the these visions were supposedly some side effect of the seizures he was experiencing. Okay, that's, I guess, believable. That kind of puts him back into the realm of believability then. Mm-hmm. Because he's saying, all right, well, I wasn't really possessed. I was actually just having fucking seizures. Yeah. Uh, all right, so he's not completely insane. He was just literally having seizures. Right. And having hallucinations as a result of that, because God knows what comes out of seizures. Eric should be here for this. So essentially, yes, that is the story of bloodstains. Oh. Um, unfortunately, I don't really know how it ends. But because you just gave I just up. I couldn't do it. I'm sorry, folks. I, I just I couldn't I couldn't it's, I tried. And is I it at least well written? No. Really? No. Bad. I mean, I mean, I, don't know. I think in the beginning of the book, he says, please bear with me. All right. <laughs> you read this book. You got his you got his insanity. Right, so after, account, after, after giving decided, up, after yeah. giving up on on bloodstains, I went back to depraved and start like a factual yeah, huh. because because we did our own little timeline and 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 based on the dates and times that Jeff Mudgett presented, it fit. I, I, yeah, it fit. It does. It did and fit. It fits, and you wanted to see how well it actually fit. Right. So I picked up copies of Depraved by Harold Schetcher. I can't pronounce names. So That's all right. Please, I apologize for this entire episode. And I picked up Eric Larson's Devil in the White City. Both excellent books. Um, so I picked those, up Depraved. People. Read those. Yeah, people. I picked up Depraved because I had previously read another one of his books, uh, Deviant, which is about Ed Gein. Amazing. He's a really, really good author, and I, and I, I feel like he really lays things out clearly. Um, so I wanted to refresh myself on Holmes. So I read those two. Um, and I started kind of reading another book on Jack the Ripper, and... I actually picked up the illustrated history of Jack the Ripper. I'm so excited. I found it at Barnes and Noble and I was like I was like hugging it and and I, I didn't want to put it down. The real mystery of this is where you found a Barnes and Noble. I know. Staten That's the Island. real mystery. Staten That's the real mystery. Where the hell did you find a suburbia. Barnes and Noble? Suburbia. Suburbia they still read. I guess so. Um, so yeah, so I went and back. as a, and after all that, you you stayed up last night quite late, <laughs> and you actually put together a PowerPoint presentation. I did. Um, I am going to do what I can to add this PowerPoint into uh, into the YouTube version of this. So if you're not listening to this on YouTube, uh, I'm not telling you to turn this off now. Then finish it, but you can then go back go back and check this out on YouTube and check out the video version of this where we'll try I'm going to try to put all the all of her slides into this so you can see what we're looking at as we're looking at it. Right. So, um based on our previous conversation, um the two sources that you really cited during that conversation were the TED Talk by yep. Jeff Mudgett and you discussed briefly the History Channel's haunted history. Yeah. Um now, one problem, people, when you're running a podcast and you don't do full leg work, is that sometimes... Sorry, Jesus. <laughs> no offense. Uh, sometimes you wind up with the same source being yeah, cited. Well, that, yeah, <laughs> as it turns out, we went back and watched The Haunted History, and it turns out that the source in The Haunted History episode is Jeff, Jeff Mudgett himself. <laughs> now, I had no idea who he was or anything. I did, I'd never seen or heard of this guy before. I mean, I saw this last, literally last October, because it was the weekend we were out, we were at Chiller. And it was just, it was on in the hotel. We woke up, I woke up Sunday morning while we were getting ready and it was on in the hotel room. And I was like, oh my God, where the hell did this come from? Apparently the episode aired in 2011 or so. The TED Talk was in 2014, on October 18th, 2014. The Murder Castle ran in 2013. The Murder, okay. So, all right, so we're looking 2013 for the Haunted History episode. It's mm-hmm. 2013, and 2014 was Jeff it's Mudgett's TED, TED talk, talk in Vancouver, TEDx yeah. Talk in Vancouver. Mm-hmm. Uh, funnily enough, it was already, we had recorded that, and I found this out a, like a week later after, oh, we, after it was recorded. I yeah. found this out after we had already recorded it, otherwise we would have discussed it then, which is why we went back and discussed it again last week. Mm-hmm. So, as it turns out, it's the same exact source. So I, I figured the easiest way to tackle this question was to follow Mudgett's okay. case. All right. So if you go back and you watch his TED Talk, he, he, he's actually a criminal lawyer. All right. Um, so, he so he's not an it, idiot. He's not an idiot at all. No. He's just a bad writer. He's, he's not a very entertaining writer. <laughs> he's not a very entertaining speaker either. I followed his, his kind of uh, method 
her methodology of yeah. presenting this case. And he presents exhibit exhibits as yes. if we're in court. Yeah. A through F, I believe he does. So I actually went and followed his exhibits. exhibits. So that's what my PowerPoint presentation is based on. All right. Let's get into that. Let's, let's get into that. it. Okay. So exhibit A. Oh, look at that. There's an A on the screen. There you go. Um, during his TED Talk, he claims that, um, well, he shows a picture of a steamership from Which the is probably just a, a stock footage, <laughs> stock photo. You would think. Really? I'm not going to get ahead of myself, though. Oh, okay. So he shows a, uh, so shows a example of a steamership from the 1800s, um, and he goes on to claim that once we have our warrant, because, you know, we're, we're doing a police investigation, we're doing an apparently. investigation. And once we have this warrant and we get those passenger lists, yeah. we're going to find H.H. Holmes on those passenger lists. Okay, so he doesn't have the passenger lists. No. He's never seen the passenger Not lists. Not at the time at the TED Talk. Okay. Now, the TED Talk, mind you, was 2014. Yeah. This is kind of important to my point. It's fine. Um, a, uh, I don't have the date for this one. Um, right. He was on a podcast, Steve Warner's Dark City. It was mm-hmm. one of the podcasts I listened to. And actually, this might be a bad... I'm going to be honest here. I am an ex-psych major, so my annotations and footnotes and such things, I do apologize for. Um, he was on a podcast, Steve Warner's Dark City, and the two of them got into a pretty heated debate towards the end. And yeah. Jeff Mudgett told him that he cannot use the... Uh, not the footage, but the recording. He did not want him to... To, to air to, the podcast. To air the podcast. Uh, why? Um, they got into a very heated debate about the oh. evidence and the lack of evidence that and Jeff was... And Jeff didn't like how he made him look. No. Okay, well, tough so, shit. So, that's just a side note. That's just a footnote for everybody. But on that, he, admit, he does admit that he's now searched the passenger lists. And none of H.H. Holmes's aliases are on the passenger lists. Huh. But he goes on to claim that that H. H. Holmes used over a hundred and thirty different aliases. Where does he get this number from? That's the problem with Jeff Mudgett. There's not a lot of backup for he anything. He kind of that pulls this number out of out of thin air, right? That can't be substantiated. Exactly. First, we claim in 2014. I really wish I had a date for this stupid. It's thing. all right. Wait, none of the aliases have been found on the passenger lists. Then we go back to 2013. Uh-huh. For the History Channel's Haunted History episode. Now Jeff Mudgett actually claims that they have proof. In 2013. In he, 2013, he goes back and claims that we have proof that H.H. H. Holmes traveled from New York City to Southampton on a ship called the Arturia. Arturia. Arturia, whatever. Yeah. Right, so. Now this is in 2013. The, okay, so so in 2013 he says we have proof that he's there. 2014 he says we haven't re- we haven't received the proof. 20 uh, and later on he does the podcast and the podcast he says we have the, we have the the logs but he's not on there. Yeah. So he's basically saying we don't have the proof yet. Right. We don't have proof. Right. The proof I said we have we do not have. Right. All right. So the number one problem that I found I actually found the steamship Arturia. Uh huh. And it doesn't travel to Southampton. It travels to Liverpool. All right. And which it, Southampton is in the south of England. Uh-huh. Liverpool, Liverpool is, is in north. the north. Okay, so we're on the other side of the country now. Yes. All right. Now, before we start to say, well, maybe Pichimaja didn't know that. Maybe he just didn't find that. The picture he used in his TED Talk is actually of the ship. <laughs> So it's not just a... It's not just a random stock footage. It's actually the ship, the Arturia, whatever it is. And it's actually docked in, in Liverpool. Li- the photo was taken in, in Liverpool. Liverpool. All right. That's, it's a big issue for me, number one. All right. Number two, two, you can also find the passenger lists quite easily. Okay. You can also find when the ship sailed. Uh-huh. Now, this was a thing of great debate between us where we were worried how long it would uh-huh. take. Okay. To get from one place to the other. And we did prove 20 days. And he does pretty much agree with our estimate. All right. What we didn't take into account was how often the ships ran. All right. So looking back in the archives. Well, we were assuming that the ship had run. I mean, if you're going to yeah. say that we have passenger lists, okay, well, then the ship ran. Let's just say 20 you know, days. You, do you know what happens when you assume? Shut up. <laughs> so I, I went back and we mouth. found the logs of, this is from G&G Archives. These are the logs of all the ships from this company, the one, the, the Arturia and its sister ships. Mm-hmm. Now, if you look here, 
There is no ship that traveled from New York to Southampton or Liverpool in Mm. 1888. At all. At all. So none of this fleet of of ships made that trip at all. No. So this ship that's in Liverpool that he has a photo of never went to New York in that year. No. Did it go to New York at all? Yes. Throughout its history at Throughout its history, yes, it did. But not in 1888? No. Okay. To get, to get homes from New York or Chicago to England. Yeah. Now, mind you, this is Liverpool, not Southampton. Yeah. Just um, England. Just to England. He would have had to leave in June of 1887. And... <laughs> <laughs> so to, he get him, to get him to England via... via and how long would it have taken him to get there? It would have uh, taken the, him 20 the 20, days. The, okay. Right. Okay. But, but the ship would left a year earlier. Mm-hmm. Okay, so he would have had to have been there the entire year. Right. Which we know he wasn't. No, because he his was, wife actually becomes pregnant in the spring of 1888. In Chicago. Mm-hmm. Okay, so he's definitely in Chicago. <laughs> definitely he's in Chicago. And actually, Mudgett does admit he's doing the dirty that he in was Chicago. in Chicago in July because he signed the deed to the land. Because he bought the land then, in yes. July of 1888. Right. So there's no way he was in no. England at all from no. 87 through 88. No. Not possible. And he actually would have been stuck if he went in 87. He would have been stuck in England until 1890, the now, August of 1890. Okay, so now here's a question. Is it possible he has the wrong ship? Yeah. he. Uh, were there other ships? I'm sure there were other ships. Okay. But this is the fleet of the ship that he named. That he's using and as that his evidence. And that he's using as his evidence. Okay, so it is still, to- it is still and, possible. And by the way, neither ship is the one he names. All right. So it is totally <laughs> possible that Holmes took a different ship. It's in the realm of possibility. It's in the realm of possibility. Okay, but as of right now, the ship that Mudgett, that Jeff Mudgett is claiming he was on, he was, H.H. Uh, H. Holmes was definitely not on. Not on. All right. So if, had, he, had, had he been to England in 87, unless he took a different ship, he wasn't, he was stuck there. Yeah. All right. He was stuck there till 89. He was stuck there until 90. If these are 90. 90. August so 90. Three years, this, this ship and its sister fleets did not go from New York to England. No. All right. So right now, H.H. H. Holmes is stuck in England for three years. Right. If this is possible, unless he took another ship. Right. But for the case of, for this case, yes. I'm calling this debunked. Debunked. Oh, look at that graphic. It's oh, so impressive. <laughs> Moving on to Exhibit B. Which B. Exhibit B for bullshit. Bullshit. It is bullshit. Um, in his TED Talk, he describes, he shows a, a, a sample of a letter. And he claims that this is a letter from H.H. H. Holmes to his lawyer while he's in jail years after the murder. In what year, approximately? 1890. 1890. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um. And in this, at the end of this letter, it says the New York Herald, or at least a few years ago, is difficult to find in London. Uh-huh. Now, H.H. H. Holmes says this shows the desire, and I'm quoting him here. Jeff Mudgett says. Jeff Mudgett, sorry. Jeff Mudgett, says, and I'm quoting, shows a desire, intent, and knowledge on his part to be in London, where his favorite newspaper, the New York Herald, is difficult to find. Okay. Now, anyone who knows anything about this case, this letter is actually a letter from H.H. H. Holmes to the district attorney, Graham. Not to his lawyer. Not to his lawyer. So this other piece of evidence that he's claiming places Holmes in London at the time mm-hmm. was actually written years later. Right. And, and it wasn't written to his I, lawyer. No. It was written to an investigator who was investigating... The district who, attorney. The district attorney. Mm-hmm. Who was defending Holmes? No, or he was prosecuting. Prosecuting Holmes. Right. Now, I want to point out here, this is actually a screen grab from oh. the TED Talk. Okay. And if you look down below, below it this says, weird cipher, it literally says, Holmes's letter to District Attorney Graham. Even though he's over here, even though he's right outright claiming. Outright claiming it's to his lawyer. To his lawyer. And he also claimed it was, he claimed it was written in the 1890s. No, he says it was, it was years after the murder. He does admit it was in oh, the okay. 90s. All right. Um, now, what this letter actually is, is as part of his strange confessions that he does while uh, waiting trial, uh-huh. he claims that Minnie Williams is uh, his so-called accomplice, and she actually has the Pitzel children. Pitzel, yes. Pitzel. Pitzel. His, she his, has... Now, Pitzel, Howard, Howard Pitzel? Uh, Benjamin Pitzel. Ben Pitzel mm-hmm. is his accomplice... 
that he killed yes. to take and, and, and claimed insurance fraud on it. He killed mm-hmm. the guy and claimed the insurance money. Right. And this was something he was prosecuted for. This, he, when this letter was written, he was under investigation. He was, he was okay. originally arrested for uh, insurance fraud. He was brought back to Philadelphia by the Pinkertons. And he sat there in jail, him and the, and the widow. Yeah. Both sat there in jail. Peitzel's widow. Peitzel's widow. Peitzel's widow. Peitzel's widow was also in jail with him, and they, the police were investigating. Okay. And during this time, the big question is, well, if you didn't kill them, where are the children? Yeah. And H.H. H. H. Holmes's, I don't even know what number, confession is that Minnie Williams took the children and fled to London and, is, uh, and opened a massage parlor and is keeping the children hidden. In London. Uh-huh. And Graham is at, is at his wit's end now with Holmes. And he says, I, 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 you need to show me evidence. You need Graham to tell... Graham is a district attorney. Yeah. Okay. Graham is a district attorney. He tells him, you need to get these children back here mm-hmm. to prove that you did not kill them. Yeah. And H.H. Holmes says, well, we used a cipher. Uh-huh. So if you put an advertisement in the newspaper of using this cipher, Minnie Williams will see it. And know that she needs to return the children to the United States. Okay, wait, wait, hang on. Here's where I'm confused. You didn't. Wait, he's in jail mm-hmm. with Peitzel. Minnie widow. Peitzel. No, no, no. Peitzel's. Uh, I don't remember her name. Oh, Peitzel's widow. Peitzel, oh, okay. Yes. So, so this Minnie woman is just is another woman. Right. Mi- okay. Minnie Williams is actually. Gotcha. All right. That's where I got confused. I'm, I thought Minnie, Minnie Williams, Williams was the mother. Minnie Williams is actually one of his victims. Later, Minnie Williams. Minnie Williams he took the her, children. Yeah. Took Peitzel's children. Yes, and fled to London with them. Gotcha. And they're in hiding, and they have a already agreed upon cipher to put a message in telling her to return to the United States. All right. This letter is him explaining the cipher. How to publish the cipher. How to publish the cipher in the in the in in the in the coded language that they have. Yeah. So she'll see the advertisement, and and this letter is saying that it's. Now, 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 does that line say it's, that it's, po- it's possible she doesn't see it because it's difficult to find the newspaper? Is that basically what it's saying? No, it's just kind of him saying. No, well, that line, that's all I'm saying. That one sentence of him saying it's difficult to find it is basically his way of telling the attorney that it's possible she, she can't find the newspaper. I'm guessing so. I'm guessing okay. it's his loophole. All right. Gotcha. I'm saying debunk you. Okay, so the letter cannot be used. You're debunked as in it can't be used as evidence because he's claiming it's something that it isn't. Right. Gotcha. All right. So this letter could not have, this letter was not to his lawyer stating that he was in England because he actually wrote it here mm-hmm. while in prison and gave it to the district attorney. Yes. All right. So this is not a letter saying that he was in no. England and, and that he wants to be in England and no, it has nothing to do. None. Okay, so home. So so home still has not made it to England. No, it's eighteen ninety. He hasn't made it to England yet. No, gotcha. Moving on. Debunked. Exhibit C. Exhibit C. Um, in the TED Talk, he begins to point out the similarities of Holmes to the artist renditions of Jack the Ripper during the time of the murders. Yeah. So you see here on the left, we have a sketch of H. H. Holmes. Hmm. And then and on there the are right, photos of H.H. H. Holmes. There are yeah. actual photos. So this sketch is very accurate. Yes. Yeah. You can find real true photos of H.H. H. Holmes. Mm-hmm. So this is a real sketch of him. It's totally what he looked like. Gotcha. And you know what? I agree. We talked about this during he our conversation like last him. week. He does look like him. All right. So he looks like he looks like him. But at the same time, honestly, it's not a very rare look to see a no. man in the 1880s with a mustache and a bowler's hat. No. That's, it's, that's, it's, and, and a, that's a popular look. Yeah, it's a very yeah. popular look. Okay. So that's like, that's like finding, that's like finding a 20 year old in a, with, with, with a beard with and a lumberjack shirt. With glasses in Williamsburg. Yeah. 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 Okay. <laughs> Throw a rock and you'll hit one. <laughs> um, okay. Exhibit D. D. He shows a summation of the, of Jack the Ripper's pathologist findings, showing that not only is the killer, must the killer be a doctor, but he must also be a practicing surgeon. Okay. And that is widely asserted and known by all ripperologists that the ripper was most likely mm-hmm. a surgeon right. and they've gone as far as to say well even if he wasn't a surgeon he was at least a butcher because this guy knew his way through the body he knew where to cut how to cut to do it quickly and efficiently mm-hmm. with very little loss of blood before it became a problem yeah okay 
Absolutely. So uh, going forward, next slide, I state the same exact thing that you just wonderfully summarized. summarized. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and I actually showed this is Web, uh, Herman Webster Mudgett's graduation portrait from the University of Chicago, where he graduated in as a doctor. In 1884. In 1884. So, okay, six years later, he still has the same mustache mm-hmm. and same look. So yeah. he hasn't changed. And, uh, okay, and Mudgett is, by profession... He's a doctor. He is a doctor. So, he is a doctor. So it's possible. So he fits the description mm-hmm. and the possible knowledge that that Jack the Ripper would have had to have would have had to uh, um, would have known, would have would have had possess. to have been. possess. Yes. There you go. But he would have he, had to he, he has the he has a possession of the knowledge that Jack the Ripper would have had to possess. Right. Yes. And I'm going to add a small footnote here. During his numerous interviews, Jeff Mudgett does repeat quite often that Jack the Ripper had to be an excellent surgeon, a very skilled surgeon, uh-huh. blah, 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 blah. Yeah. Now, I actually found a quote from one of um, Herman Mudgett's instructors that uh, from the University of, Chicago, of, Chicago, of Michigan. Yeah. Saying, I remember him as a mild, inoffensive student of ordinary ability. And seemingly the last person in his class to follow the murderer's career he seems to have followed. So okay, so he so so while he was a doctor and he yes. did take surgery, he wasn't very good. No. He wasn't he doesn't say he was bad, but mm-hmm. he Ordinary, was nothing special. Average, nothing he special. was nothing special. Okay. Right. Anyway, exhibit D. No, I, I approved either way, because I think that calling him saying that saying that uh, uh, AJ saying that Jack the Ripper would have had to have exceptional surgical knowledge mm-hmm. is just a way of I honestly feel that's just a way of separating him, making it seem make it's more it's supernatural. Prostle, yeah, making him seem better than he really was. When yeah. the truth is, any doctor probably could have mm. cut this apart and could have probably yeah. done it. Yeah, yeah, because all, just all it would have taken was a was a basic know how of the internal workings of the human body. And I think that back in the 1880s, people were people saw that as a very high thing to achieve that it takes many years to learn how to do this. And the truth is you cut up on a couple of cadavers. They're all pretty much the same. Right. Okay. So it wouldn't take the high level of precision. It would just take somebody being, being calm through the course of it and be able to do it without, without panicking. Right. Okay. I mean, anybody who, who handles a scalpel on a pretty yeah. regular basis. Yeah. He, he graduated medical school. So he's, he's obviously comfortable doing this. Mm-hmm. And I mean, plus he was murdering and torturing people in his basement. Just, well, that was after this. <laughs> well, after this. Technically, that way. was after this. But yeah. Exhibit E. Again, this is a little redundant, um, but he goes back and talks about the similarities between H.H. Holmes. And Freddie Mercury. And Freddie Mercury. And the Jack <laughs> of the Ripper sketch. Wow, it's animated and it's everything. It's animated and everything. Holy shit. I know. I'm super impressive. Um, so, yeah. Uh, th- this composite, like we said last week, was based on the witness statements. Mm-hmm. Um, in the book Depraved, the definitive story of H.H. H. Holmes, um, he's described as weighing a shade under 150 pounds, standing 5 foot 7 inches tall, um, with an erect manly carriage and moved with a quiet grace. Mm. Okay. Um, Constable Smith described Jack as five foot seven inches tall, clean shaven, aged around 28, wearing dark clothes and a dark, hel- dark hard felt deerstalker hat. Israel Shorts described Jack as aged about 30, five foot five, fair complexion, dark hair, Small brown mustache, full face, broad-shouldered, wearing a dark jacket and trousers and a black cap with a peak. Okay. Joseph Laundry, one of the most believed accounts, mm-hmm. um, described Jack as age 34 or 35, height 5 foot 6, complexion pale, dark eyes, eyelashes, slight mustache, curled up at each end. Uh-huh. Slightly different mustache. So this is like total villain. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and dark hair, a respectable appearance, walked very sharp. Okay. And, ten, and Thomas E. described Jack as being five foot eight in height, about 35 years of age, with a dark mustache and whiskers. He walked as though he had a stiff knee and he had a fair, fearful look about the eyes. All right. So one of the 
One of them claims he was clean shaven, did not have a, didn't have any facial hair, but mm-hmm. the others all say that there was a mustache, all approximately the same age, same height, and yeah. same same build and same walk. Yes. Okay. Now the first account does account for everything, but the mustache as well. Mm-hmm. Same yeah. build, same age, same walk, same everything, same demeanor, right. but no mustache. Yeah. Okay. But either way, I think we both agree. Pretty okay. Okay. Approved. Yes, he approved. He fits the description of Jack the Ripper. Yeah. All right. Moving on to exhibit F. F. In the TED Talk, he explains he took a sample of HH's home HH Holmes's handwriting to the British Library to be, to be compared to the Jack the Ripper Dear Boss letter. Uh-huh. And this was a big piece of evidence for us last week. I mean, yeah. this yes. is big. Um so again, I have to point out the inconsistencies. No, that's fine. Um, for a criminal lawyer, I'm not very impressed with Mudgett. Mm-hmm. Um, so in the TED Talk, like I said, he does claim that he presents this to the British Library. Uh-huh. And the British Library's professional opinion that the two letters were indeed written by the same hand. The Jack the Ripper letter and Mudgett's letter to the district attorney. No, this is actually written to Peitzel's widow. This letter. Oh. He doesn't say it. He just says it's a letter. Okay. Um, but this is the Dear Boss letter on the right. That's Okay, Holmes's same letter. handwriting. Definitely written by, by Holmes, though. Yes, the professional opinion from supposedly the British Library was that they were written in the same hand. All right, so quite possibly the same person, so, mm-hmm. as we said last week. Right. Now, actually, the woman who actually... Okay, oh, 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 oh okay, <laughs> so we're just... This is what he's claiming. That's what he's claiming. Oh, okay, now we'll get to reality. Yeah, now reality. Right. <laughs> reality sets in. And if you look down here, there's Margaret Webb. Uh-huh. I looked for Margaret Webb. Yeah. And she's an independent document examiner. Um, she is not with the British Library. So she's just some woman. She was actually, he claims that she was recommended by the British Library, but oh. she is not in any way associated with the British Library. Okay. Number one. I did find a, a very few newspaper articles for, for what this was, somebody claiming. I mean, usually this gets a lot of press, and mm-hmm. I really couldn't find a lot. All right. Um, I did find an article in the Lacuna's Daily Sun. Laconia. Um, Laconia. Laconia Daily Sun. Daily Sun. Uh-huh. Um, which stated that her conclusions were lambasted in the press because she's a graphologist and not solely a handwriting expert. All right. Now, that means nothing to me. So I looked it up. Um, in her signature, at the end of her name, there's this little parentheses DIP. DIP is shorthand for the British Institute of Graphologists. DIP stands for British Institute of Graphologists? Listen, they're fucking British. What do you want from me? <laughs> I thought the same thing. I didn't understand it. But essentially, graphology is the analysis of the physical characteristics and patterns of handwriting um, to indicate the psychological state of the person. Uh-huh. Um, so literally, this is, if you write in small letters, yeah. you are thought to be shy All and right. not very confident. All right. According to graphology, if you sign... Your signature with the two first letters is very large. You're very full of yourself. All right. Uh, it's generally considered a pseudoscience. All right. Um, it's often very incorrectly used to refer to forensic document examination. And it's been controversial for probably the last century. So for all the people who, who scientifically um, inspect documents, mm-hmm. graphology... Means nothing to them. Is, ...is why they are not taken... Very seriously. Gotcha. It's like astrology to an astronomer. Because professional, opinion, professional opinions are not admissible in court, he found an alternative software program developed by the University of Buffalo. This software determined a 96.75% scenario that the styles are similar. Mm-hmm. And that's what we said last week. Blew our minds. Yeah. Now, I want to add a quick side note to this. During the podcast with Steve Warner's Dark City... Mudgett does add on to this, and he does admit that the scientists of the University of Buffalo did say that they would need to recode the software in order to read the cursive font that was used during the time to really ensure the accuracy and before they would officially stand behind their findings. Okay, so you're saying that the software is, while it's coming up saying it's accurate, it's not as accurate as it could be. No. The software could be better. He also claimed that this software was used by the Department of Justice. 
And who actually, and, and what did you find out that this software is actually used? Um, what I actually found out is that you can download this software. So it's not Department of Justice proprietary software. No, this, I mean, it was they're developed. They're not using this in, criminal, in criminology. No, it's not used. I, I could not find any evidence of it used uh, in, in criminal cases. It's the same thing as the handwriting specialist. Yeah. Um, so this is some private guy who made some private, private whatever fund that's creating this program to do this sort of thing, but it's not used professionally. It's not mm. used. It's not admissible in court. I mean, he even said it wasn't admissible. He said that that graphologist that he had, he said that she was not admissible in court because it's a person. So he went to a place that uses computers to do this. And he says that the department of justice uses this and he's lying. Um, you know, they, they want to use it. Mm-hmm. It's still heavily in testing. In fact, because I actually, it's because it's still subject to human error. The computer only knows what you tell it. Yeah, I actually went and found a, a, a study, um, a 2010 study from the Netherlands Forensic Institute, where they performed a blind study comparing this software, which is Cedar Fox. Mm-hmm. Cedar Fox is the name of it, um, and it compared. It did a blind study between the software and QD's. QDE examiners. Now, QDE examiners are question document examination examiners. This is actually the scientific version of handwriting analysis. Uh-huh. This is the one that pays attention to all the, the uh, like, how hard did you press down? Yeah. Uh, it's actually the science. There's actually science to of this version of it. Of course there is. And he actually found that the examiners were correct more often than the software was. Huh. Because the software doesn't have the same ability to, to pay attention to the smaller differences. Because the computer doesn't understand what it's like to hold a pen. Yeah. Okay. So the computer just doesn't take that into account. It's only knowing, it only knows what you tell it. You can't, it basically, you're saying that this software needs an AI engine of sorts. Mm-hmm. And all it's doing is, uh, is running, it's running the software based on what you tell it, but it's not able to learn from the by by going through the entire document document you pick up on it and you realize that later on in the document well you've been writing for 10 pages your hands probably tired the change you know there's little subtle changes that are going to occur mm-hmm. that computer is going to take the the last page of say a 20 page document and say it's written by a different person than the first page even though it's be- just simply because it's not taking something like fatigue into account yeah and that's just a, as an example and that's exactly what he actually admits to he had actually admits in his ted talk mm-hmm. That if you, if anyone in the audience was to write two letters, mm-hmm. right there, right there, yeah. and he was to submit them to the computer, and it would come up you would not get the same yeah. accuracy. And I said that, and you guys said, well, wait a minute. No, that's not possible. Yeah. But what he's saying is that's because that's how the computer works. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So a personal handwriting expert would probably look at it and go, yes, that's the same exact person. But a computer is not taking into account the different possible... Air, you know, when you move, did you move your, did you move the page or did you move your arm to write on the separate piece of paper? What, what caused the did slant? You, was there, yeah, was there a bump caused, in the table? Exactly. Like, you know. It doesn't take into account environmental factors mm, at all. No. All right. It just doesn't know how. So the computer could, even though it says 96%, it's saying it's, it's 90, pretty fucking high. It's, it's 96% similar. But the problem, the, the main problems with the software is finding the differences in similar handwritings. I mean, because if you look at them, they look somewhat similar. I uh-huh. mean, to, the, to, to my untrained eye, I'm like, uh-huh. okay, they kind of look yeah, alike. Yeah, but we don't know what the fuck we're looking for either. I don't know what the hell I'm looking at. Yeah. But so essentially the computer's doing essentially the same thing that I just did. Yeah. You know, it was like, yeah, it's similar, but the computer yeah. doesn't have any of, of, of the background. Reasoning. Yeah. And the reasoning, no reasoning behind it. To it's, work out the differences. Gotcha. It's running an algorithm. Yeah, exactly. All right. So, I mean, I don't know about you, but debunked. All right. And that is the end. That's the end. That's the end. That was the end of his TED Talks. That was all the evidence that he really put forth was the claim that he was on a ship. So the only things are, yeah. <laughs> so basically all your, so the, the only part of this that fits. Is that he looks similar. He looks like Jack the Ripper and that's it. That's it. Based on the evidence presented. There's no way Holmes was in England. No. The letter that claims he was in England was written while he was in prison. Mm-hmm. Um, the handwriting software itself that proves it was written by the same person is 
good flawed. chance it's it's flawed and could could quite possibly be very wrong. Mm-hmm. His so-called the, expert is his not his so-called expert is not really a scientific expert. She's not a she's not an accredited expert. No. She's just I some, mean she she's accredited in, in this pseudoscience. She's like a like a I don't know. Like she's a not teenager. a handwriting expert. No, she's not a handwriting expert. So like I said, you could have given it to a tattoo artist. Yeah, and a tattoo artist could look at it and tell you whether the same person drew this or not. And it's mm-hmm. just you know, it might as well. They have the same. I mean, level of of expertise of looking at images and drawings all day long. Her her being a graphologist, it's a, it could be something you know, like oh, well, this handwriting says that you're a killer, and oh look, this handwriting also says that you're a killer. I don't know. I see. I mean, that's essentially... It's what, like psychology. It's all yeah. based upon it's, personal... It's, yeah. So, all right. So then let's stick... The most important part of it is, unless he took another ship, mm-hmm. which nobody is claiming, the claim is he took this specific ship. Yes. The only way to place him in England is for him to have taken a different ship. And there's no evidence whatsoever that he was on any ship at all to no. begin with. No. In 1888. Most, most of the, re- the sources that I've read up on, no one can even put him in London at all for any yeah. reason. I mean, you have to remember, yes, he bought the land now in 1888. Now, 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 there are claims that there was an American in London at the time mm-hmm. who was selling cadavers to the local university. But, I mean, that's, that, I mean, it's that, a pretty popular I, yeah, thing well, to do at the time. That's fine, but that's what. But I'm trying to figure out where the hell this even comes from then. Where did he stem this it, bullshit from? The, the big problem with this, he's, what, what he's really capitalizing on, is that there is no record of what H.H. H. Holmes did. So this did. guy's trying to sell a book. He's just trying to sell a book. That's it. He's yeah. trying to sell a book. Yeah. It's total there's, bullshit. There's, there's a gap in, 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 in Holmes' activities between the fall of 88... And I believe 89, sometime in 89. Okay, so we can't place him in England, but we can't place him anywhere else either. I mean, we assume he's in Chicago building his, his murder castle. his wife is pregnant. His wife is pregnant, and he's, he's building, building his murder, murder castle, castle, which he designed, he drew up, and he and hired started, and fired. started building it in yeah. the late fall of 1888. Mm-hmm. And, so and there's neighbor hired... accounts that he had many multiple arguments with the, with the, the so carpenters he was hiring and firing. So there's about a six-month gap where we're not quite sure where he is because he was probably dealing in cash anyway. If this guy had mm-hmm. aliases and everything, He's probably dealing in cash. We have, we have no so there's no to, real written record of him doing anything specific to still, him. He still owned the pharmacy. He yeah. still worked at the pharmacy. But there's just that he he did nothing that no that, that, that was worthwhile of documenting. Yeah. There's no documents. But there's no real reason to believe that he left Chicago. I mean, the the only real case that you could make is that uh, in Chicago during the winter, people don't build because it's winter. Yeah, but but we all but but, but again, the murder designing. castle started being they started, started construction it. in late 1888. So yeah. it's possible they so most likely they started construction around November. The winter rolled in, and they said, "All right, we're done until April." Yeah, but he still worked at the pharmacy. He yeah. still owned the pharmacy. There's mm-hmm. no record of him hiring another pharmacist. Nobody mentions that another pharmacist pharmacist came in. So right. uh, there's no real reason to believe that he left Chicago. So to he go has no he has no reason to go to England to begin with, no. unless he was unless the only reason he has to go to England is literally to start practicing killing people. Yeah, because he knew he was building this fucking thing. Right. So, but I mean, so that, he could have he could have traveled to it. the Midwest. He could have he, he got he could have gone to New York City and murdered some people. He could have gone to the side of one of the lakes and he could have yeah. yeah yeah he could have gone anywhere. And he could have crossed the fucking lake and I mean and, and to, go, some to go through like a a, a, a ten day a ten day travel into London, leaving his pregnant wife and his job and I mean and it was quite expensive these ships. I mean well, I, yeah. I, they were, I think, what, I'm, what I saw well, was like well, $353. Well, he had money. Yeah. He did have plenty of money. Because but he also he liked was to serious, keep his money. Yeah. That's a big yeah. expense just to go and just practice to, just, killing just, people. Yeah, just for, just for a dress rehearsal uh, uh, across the pond. So really, yes, all I could ever find, the only person who claims that he left Chicago and went to London is Jeff Mudgett. That's it. That's it. Now, one, one side note, which I did, I did find out last night. If you go to Jeff Mudgett's Bloodstains the Book website, mm-hmm. there are two more parts coming. Oh, for love of God. <laughs> so that's what it is. So he's just trying to sell a book. And he's also trying to make it into a movie. Well, you can't fault the guy for that, but um, final summation, Jeff Mudgett is full of shit. Yep. Debunk that punk. He is full of shit. Uh-huh. 
So that makes our entire that makes that makes I'm six, sad. I'm really sad. I was really excited last week yeah. and I was like really psyched for this and I was like this is going to be awesome. I didn't want to be this person who was like and this and this and this but you know one thing I do have to say Look, you're a party pooper. Get over it. learn know, to deal with it. Live with it. Lame. You are the party pooper. party pooper. You have destroyed the hopes and dreams and my presentation of all of us walks all over forever. This. Stomped it into the ground. Destroyed. Destroyed. There is nothing left. You've just The one thing I do have to say though is Jeff Mudgett does have a lot of his grandfather in him. Maybe not the murdering part, but he is a serious con man. He's a serious con man. He is a snake oil salesman. He's, yeah. So maybe that's what transferred through him when that 99-year-old <laughs> man touched him. Maybe that's what transferred through him. It wasn't so much evil, but the ability to lie Agreed. his ass Agreed. off. The ability to lie his ass off with a straight face to us, to a, to an audience of Ted. Yeah, and mean, and I mean, an audience, he's a, a lawyer. Audience. Like, the fact that, well, like, in a week, in a week of internet research and a couple of books, I was able to debunk this. It's kind of like... not very, yeah. He yeah. isn't a, a very solid... No, I would not I would not want him defending me on anything. Okay, so anybody who gets uh, Jeff Mudgett as their, um, as their public defender, turn him down and defend yourself, because he obviously doesn't know what he's doing. Take a page out of Holmes' book and defend yourself. You defend yourself, yeah. <laughs> or William Ng. Mm, William Ng. Yeah, William, William Ng, right? Something Ng. Something Charles Ng. Charles Ng. Charles Ng. Defend yourself 17 times and let the state of California spend <laughs> $20 million defending, you know, prosecuting you for 10 years. Well, that sucks, but uh, hey, fuck it. He's a lying sack of shit. Mm-hmm. This guy's a fucking liar. Mm-hmm. Outright bullshit. Uh-huh. We're calling bullshit. Bullshit. I wish I had a bullshit detector, like one of those little buttons that bullshit. You can put that Total in. Total bullshit, I will. You gotta put I'll it put in. It. Yeah. I'll put it in there. Well, that's been a wonderful update. You've, again, crushed our dreams. Thanks so much for, being, for being a horrible, horrible person. You're terrible. Our listeners are going to hate you forever. I, know. I just get onto the co-host thing, and now I'm... And now you're just, you're fucking shit up. Fucking shit up. You're fucking shit up. I'm bringing stupid presentations and fucking shit up. So, uh, that's going to do it for this, uh, for this little update mini, mini episode of What Lurks on Channel X, which turned out to be not so mini. Sorry about that. Yeah. So, uh, um. Unlike Jeff Mudgett, I like to be thorough. (laughs) Ah, uh, that's gonna. That's all for us. We're gonna lead you out with some more music from Without You. I'm hunting them. Uh, you can check us out. Get our podcast in it at, at massgravepictures.com. Subscribe to us on iTunes and Stitcher and whatever other wonderful uh, podcast aggregator you prefer to use, or download directly on our website. Please leave us comments on iTunes. Rate us. Be nice, please. You don't have to. You know, don't even be nice. I don't care. Be nice to me. Just, just rate us and leave leave us some comments because that helps us move up in the rankings. So this way, other people can find us. Uh, we'll be back possibly next week with a very interesting discussion that we're planning on recording if we have the time to record it. I'm a little tired after this one. Yeah. So uh, we'll see you all soon. That's gonna do it for us here at What Lurks on Channel X. Peace out. Have a nice week, everybody. Bullshit. <laughs>